basically the internet of all things is this internet that connects and controls all of these. So think about it, communication has already happened. How do you communicate nowadays? Do you send letters? No, I doubt it. Do you send emails, send texts, send messages, voice messages, Zoom, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so that's the revolution in communication. That's kind of led, led the charge. The next one is renewable energy. So we see in Europe and China, this huge move towards uh, pushing out of fossil fuels and pushing into renewable energy. Granted, there's still a need for fossil fuels in the next 10 to 20 years, but the need for those fossil fuels is to fuel this new renewable energy industry. And lastly is this internet controlled uh, transportation. So you see this with companies like Tesla and Elon Musk and this idea that in the next 10 to 20 years, we're gonna have self-driving cars. So basically this huge industrial revolution is happening in conjunction with the change in uh, monetary system. And the reason this change in monetary system is happening, and this is where Bitcoin becomes so important because in a world of internet of all things, in a world where our lives are basically based on technology and internet and internet infrastructure, we need a monetary system that is internet based, right? We need a great financial reset that is based upon this internet of all things that we're moving into. Hello friends, and welcome to another episode of Couple of Lattes with your host, me, Jacques Massey. I'm on a mission to give people wings and roots, and Couple of Lattes is a podcast designed to offer simple solutions to your perceived problems, empowering you to take charge of your life. Couple of Lattes brings powerful conversations with some of the most insightful people in the world straight to your ears. You can listen to new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on your chosen podcast platform, and you can even watch it on YouTube. Anyway, time to create some purpose and find some meaning in your life with this episode of Couple of Lattes. Welcome, friendly friends, to another episode of Couple of Lattes. And yes, this is Friday, which is unusual because normally episodes are Monday and Wednesday, but introducing a new series called Thoughts On. So just briefly, a little bit of housekeeping to go through some of the changes that have come to Couple of Lattes. Uh, every Monday is going to be in conversation. So that is going to be myself with an inspiring guest. Uh, the idea of that uh, series is to have inspiring conversations that uh, I guess motivate you to maybe take some action in your life, take some power back in certain areas. Um, as time goes on, goes on, my hope is to get more and more experts and guests in different fields, you know, um, totally different fields all over the place, different ideas, different thoughts, different beliefs um, to get a more well-rounded idea of the world and the idea will be that you can pick and choose little nuggets of wisdom and information from those guests and maybe apply them to your own life. And if you're really passionate about those guests, go follow them, uh, look at their work and maybe start up a conversation with them yourself. Wednesday is going to be solutions to life. And that is essentially what it sounds like is me talking about solutions to maybe some of the perceived problems in your life uh, from my own experience, from research and from the experience of others. 
And the idea with that one is that you can kind of pick and choose week to week. If you see a topic that resonates with you, by all means, click on it, listen to it. And I hope that you gain uh, some little nuggets of wisdom and you can apply that again into your own life and be more solutions focused, take your power back and do something uh, about the problems that you worry so much about and that you kind of force yourself into a suffering state over. Uh, and of course, there's going to be topics that don't resonate with you. That's fine. Obviously, you don't need to listen to every single episode, especially if it doesn't really resonate with you. But the idea is that some of those episodes will. And then today, which is thoughts on, and this is me basically diving into my own mind and talking about things that I'm interested in, essentially. Uh, I guess embracing my more philosophical side, my more, um, I don't know, historical based side. I'm kind of fascinated by history and philosophy and religion. So those are going to be the kind of topics that I'll talk about on thoughts on uh, basically anything that interests me at the time. And the idea again with that, with that episode or that series, which is today, this is the first, the inaugural, uh, is that some of those will resonate with you as well and you'll listen to them and then hopefully go down your own rabbit hole, maybe do your own research, come to your own conclusions, think critically on topics. And I mean, by all means, you can message me and uh, talk to me about those topics. You can find me Instagram at couple of lattes. Um, but yeah, the, again, the idea is that some of those topics you might not be interested in, in at all, uh, in which case you don't have to listen to them. Uh, but that's basically what the structure is going to be going forward. So Monday in conversation, Wednesday solutions to life and Fridays, which is today thoughts on. So anyway, today I'm going to dive into my thoughts on Bitcoin and a great reset. So you've probably started seeing Bitcoin pop up all over news articles now, and that's because uh, recently it's been encroaching upon and challenging the all time high uh, because essentially it's in a new bull market. Uh, and if you understand the cycles of Bitcoin and, and how it works, uh, which I won't get too deeply into today, I basically just want to uh, kind of divulge into the history of money, the history of currency and the history of cycles uh, to, to, to kind of come to a conclusion why Bitcoin is something that I'm passionate about in my life and I'm passionate about sharing with others and I'm kind of interested in more broadly. Um, so anyway, I've kind of lost my train of thought. But let's dive into the notes that I've jotted down. Uh, and the reason I've jotted down notes is that I have a habit of um, jumping from topic to topic and my mind kind of goes all over the place. And I can understand that with this series, especially thoughts on, uh, it'll be hard for me to kind of uh, put across structured points and structured ideas without having those notes. So bear with me as I kind of go through these notes again. My hope is not to give advice whatsoever to anyone in these uh, in this series. This is not financial advice. This is not medical advice. This is not psychological advice or advice of any sort. This is simply my thoughts uh, on a specific topic, which today happens to be my thoughts on Bitcoin and a great reset. So let's get into it. So before we kind of understand Bitcoin and this idea of a great reset, which is what we're kind of in right now, is we need to understand money versus currency. So to understand money, we kind of need to go all the way back to Egypt. The history of money began over 5,000 years ago with gold in Egypt. Uh, I mean, it, it started out as um, an evolution of the bartering system, but then as gold uh, began to take on the properties of money, it became the real 
really the first use of money and evolved into, I guess, what we use in everyday life today. So I guess to understand the differences between currency and money and the reason why I kind of say these two is we need to understand the properties that make money, money, the properties that essentially made gold the first form of and oldest form of money. And those properties are a medium of exchange, a unit of account. So a medium of exchange, meaning something you can obviously exchange with someone else, a unit of account. It needs to be portable. It needs to be durable. It needs to be divisible, meaning you can split it into, you know, smaller fractions of the whole. And it needs to be fungible, meaning it's interchangeable, right? So my one gold coin is equal to your one gold coin. The other thing that makes money money is it needs to be a store of value, meaning that over time it needs to be able to hold and preserve your wealth. Now, this is where the difference between money and currency comes in. And this is why I don't refer to, uh, you know, Australian dollars or US dollars or Canadian dollars as money. I refer to those as currency because although they are a medium of exchange, a unit of account, they're portable, they're relatively durable, they're divisible and they're fungible. They are not a store of value. The reason is that governments print currency, inflating the, suppl the supply over time and debasing, which is reducing the value or the purchasing power of said currency. So that's kind of the difference between money versus currency. And I know you're probably kind of sitting there going, well, when are you going to start talking about Bitcoin? And actually, I'm not going to talk about Bitcoin a hell of a lot in this podcast basically when I, what I want to kind of dive into is my thoughts on why Bitcoin is so important going forward and why it's going to continue to be important and more so blockchain and cryptocurrency um, and cryptography in general and how it's going to play such an important role in this idea of a great reset. So back to fiat currency. So just to give a little bit of clarity, what I talk about when I say fiat currency, fiat basically is Latin for decree. And what a fiat currency is, is essentially the government says, all right, everyone that's in this country, this is money. This is currency. Okay, so you're going to use this as your form of exchange. You're going to use this as a unit of account. You're going to use this because it's portable, durable, divisible, and fungible. This is your currency. So that's what a fiat currency is. It's a decree by the government to say this is currency. And here's a crazy fact and why... Uh, these cycles continue to occur where we kind of have these great uh, monetary resets. No fiat currency has survived in history. A hundred US dollars in 1913 would only be worth $3.87 in today's money. Why? Because as I mentioned before, governments continue to print currency, inflating the supply. So why does that reduce the value well think about it this way if i have say one pebble and if you're watching this on youtube you'll see i actually have a pebble let's say i have one pebble and because this is the only pebble that exists in the world it obviously holds a lot of value to me because if this pebble was to disappear then that would be that would be pretty sad because i put a lot of emphasis on this pebble and now let's say that this pebble is the only form of money that we have it's obviously going to have a really high value because this is literally the only money in the world, right? So if I hold this money, it's incredibly valuable. And to sell this to someone else or for someone else to exchange something else with, 
with me for this would be, it would need to be of huge amount of value. Now let's say that I go to a beach and I discover that that beach actually has millions of these pebbles. What happens to the value of this one pebble? Well, because there's millions of them, it no longer holds the same kind of value. So therefore the, the pebble, or in this case, the metaphor for currency is, has been debased, meaning there's been more of it pushed into the system, which means it therefore one individual item holds less. And this is essentially what happens with fiat currencies over time. And this is why the US dollar, for example, $100 in 1913 is now only worth $3.87 today, because over time, the currency has been inflated and more money has essentially been printed or introduced to the system via digits to fund um, things like public works or things like wars. And this is another reason why gold has been the greatest form of money for 5,000 years. And it can, because it can only be created when a star explodes and it lasts forever, right? Over time, humans have tried to create fake gold and so far have failed. This is why gold is money and why fiat currencies are currencies because gold holds its value over time. Yes, they're discovering more more gold, so technically there is a small amount of inflation, but that inflation is negligible compared to the amount of money that's printed through fiat currencies. So gold has become over the years and over the millennia, in fact, such a powerful store of value. And this is why another reason why Bitcoin is so special, because it is becoming the digital version of gold as we move into a digital world. But more on that later. Let's go over inflation versus deflation and our current predicament that we're in. So if you think about technology, it's going to eat everything. Regardless of whether you want it to or not, technology is eating everything. Name a single company or think of a single company that isn't really a technology company. Even McDonald's. Everything that runs in a McDonald's store to create those cheeseburgers, to create that Big Macs, it's based upon technology. Technology literally eats everything. And we, when you think of technology, it is by nature deflationary. So what that means is that value over time comes down versus inflationary where uh, the value, sorry, the value of something doesn't come down, but the cost to produce or the cost of that comes down, right? So if we go back to our inflation example of 100 US dollars in 1913, now being worth $3.87, in a deflationary world, it would be the opposite, right? Uh, in a deflationary world, that $100 in 1913 might be worth $387 now because there's less of something, there's less cost uh, with technology. So over time, the price um, reflects, right? It's, I hope that makes sense. Essentially, they are the, the opposite of each other, right? Now, the problem with technology being deflationary and the problem that technology is able to deflate prices, that's what I was trying to say before, over time, because it becomes easier to uh, manufacture things, because it becomes easier to do things, and because there's less cost associated with doing those things, um, is that we live in a financial system or with a financial system that is inflationary by nature. So the two are colliding. And that's where one of the one of the, the big things that's causing this need for a great reset is that technology is exponentially creating a deflationary environment in terms of um, the goods that we have, the things that we use, the cost of anything technology based, but the money system is uh, exponentially 
inflating, meaning that the two are basically bumping heads, right? While technology is deflating things, our money supply is inflating. So it's creating this kind of um, gap where people are, there's, uh, people have more money that is worth less, so they have less purchasing power. And tech is making things cheaper for people, but the monetary system is not working in conjunction with that deflationary system, if that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. So essentially with tech eating everything and it creating this deflationary environment and our money system just not really working with technology, we're kind of bumping heads, right? And what I mean, I guess, to expand upon tech being deflationary is think about your iPhone, for example, pick up your iPhone or your Galaxy or whatever you have, and you'll notice a plethora of apps on there that are completely free, completely free. They cost you nothing. That is an example of deflation, right? Over time, we've made it cheaper for ourselves uh, to basically access the basics of living. You know, if I look at my phone right now and I'm, I'm opening my phone, like I have a calendar app that's totally free. I have an email that's account that's totally free. We used to pay to ship mail or send mail, right? Now, like it's totally free. It happens instantaneously. I have a bunch of social media apps that are totally free. I have music that streams to my ears for $11 a month. Uh, it used to cost $30 or something for a CD, and that might get me through a week. Uh, I have a video streaming service, which is completely free. That is deflation, right? Tech is deflationary by nature. It makes things cheaper and improves our purchasing power because with things being cheaper, uh, we can essentially buy more with it. But the problem is the monetary system doesn't suit. So we're kind of at this, this point now in time where technology is eating everything, but the monetary system is lagging behind and it needs to evolve and to change. Now, I just want to kind of go into deficit spending a little bit. So this is along the lines of inflation and deflation. And I kind of want to clarify what it is. So basically what deficit spending is, is, the amount by which spending exceeds revenue. And this is something that governments are really good at doing. And this creates inflation by nature because you need to inflate the currency, you need to print more money in order to pay for um, the deflationary or the deficit spending that, sorry, not deflationary, the deficit spending that you have. So building new public works, building schools, building roads. Um, yeah, so that's deficit spending. The next thing I kind of want to go into is this idea that, uh, you know, history suggests to us that there is consistently over time, these great resets or these financial resets. So I get that a lot of people are worried and they're freaking out and they're going, oh my God, this is the end of the world. And this must be a conspiracy against us. And we're all going to get obliterated from the face of the planet. But if you look at history, it's happened over and over and over and over again. Monetary systems change, uh, and it's happened throughout history. When when you look throughout history, even as far back as you know ancient Greece, you can see that this is this is not a new thing that we're facing. This is just a cycle coming into fruition. And what we can kind of notice throughout history is that 
you know, revolution, which is kind of this phase that we're in now where there's a lot of people revolting or um, standing up against um, this growing kind of disparity between the rich and the poor is that revolution becomes favorable as currency values drop, meaning as more money is printed and the purchasing power of your currency reduces, that means that you are less able to afford necessities, the basics. Uh, and once that drops below a critical level, revolution becomes favorable. And we tend to see around that level being around 40% of your um, your income going towards paying for food. Once it kind of goes over that threshold, once you kind of 45, 50, 60% of your income is going towards just food alone, revolution becomes favorable because if you can't afford to feed yourself, then the idea of revolting against the system or wanting to change the system becomes much more enticing, I suppose you could call it. So anyway, let's move into, um, I guess we're kind of, what I'm trying to do here is evolve the idea behind what's happening with this great reset and why I've kind of dove into this idea of Bitcoin being such an important part of the future system that we go into. So what I want to dive into now is monetary systems and the Great Reset, essentially. And what I want to do is go through empires, the rises and the falls of, and kind of disclose history and how these Great Resets have continued to happen over and over again over time, and what we can essentially learn from them. So in six, eight, between 680 to 630 BC, gold becomes money. Um, in Greece, which uh, I guess was the birthplace of free markets and taxation. So free markets being, um, you know, markets where businesses and companies exchange goods and services versus taxation, which is done by the government uh, in order to fund public works and essentially improve people's ways of life. And what we discovered uh, in Greece during this time is it was kind of the first example of the seven stages of empire, which had played out over and over and over and over and over and over again throughout time, through the Roman Empire, through, um, you know, the Dutch Empire, uh, with the rise and fall of the Dutch Gilda, through uh, the Spanish Empire, through the English Empire, and now through the American Empire, we're kind of seeing the fall as we move into a different empire, what that might be we're not really 100% sure of, but it looks to be it may be some form of Chinese empire. So those seven stages of empire are, one, a country starts out with good money. So historically, that's been gold and silver. Um, or it's been backed by gold or silver. So good money, uh, money that holds its value. So remember the difference between currency and money is that both of them are a medium of exchange. They're both a unit of account. They're both portable, durable, divisible, fungible, meaning they're interchangeable. Um, but the thing that money has over currency is that it is a good store of value, meaning if you have uh, a gold coin with a purchasing power in 630 BC, then today that gold coin will still get you roughly the same amount. It'll hold its value versus currency, which is over time debased by the government. As they print more money to fund public works it doesn't hold its value right we understood that in the example with 100 us dollars in 1913 now being worth 387. so number one is a country starts out with good money 
gold and silver, or potentially as the future goes on and we move towards a more technological world, that may be Bitcoin or something similar. Two, as it develops, the country takes on more economic burdens, adding layer upon layer of public works. The third stage of empire is as economic affluence grows, so does a nation's political influence. Expenditure increases to fund a massive military because as political influence grows, politicians tend to think we need to protect what we have in terms of our economic affluence. Therefore, they fund large militaries. The fourth stage of empire is eventually that military is put to use and expenditure explodes. So if you look back over time, uh, Greece went to war with, sorry, um, Athens, which is what I'm talking about in terms of the first, um, the initial uh, form of money, that was Athens. They went to war with Sparta. They funded, uh, massively had to had to fund that military in order to um, pursue those campaigns and to pursue those wars. And you can see that happening in the modern day, right? Uh, look at the States, for example, they kind of rose to power in 1944 with the Bretton Woods Agreement and, you know, the Vietnam War, the, sorry, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the uh, wars in the Middle East, um, you can see that economically that was incredibly expensive. So they had to print and print and print money in order to fund these wars. And the fifth stage of empire is to fund the war. The government essentially steals wealth from the people by debasing their money or nowadays currency by creating more of it, right? And if you look back in history with Greece, what they did was they actually added copper to their gold. Essentially, what they did is they mixed it 50-50. So instead of having a thousand gold coins, they technically have 2000. But the problem is Gresham's law comes into effect. So what Gresham's law means is that when people see that, okay, hold on, this gold coin has copper in it, I can tell by the color, uh, I'm going to spend this money, but I'm going to hold on to my real gold coin because I know that that has value. And I don't want to spend that, but I am going to get rid of this crappy money that the government's created, right? So it doesn't actually end up having the same value. So all the government does is it reduces the purchasing power of uh, their form of currency. So this is what the government does in order to fund these big wars and these big public war works. And this is why you see these huge debt bubbles that occur, one that we're in right now where, you know, governments like the States, for example, have you know, tens of trillions of dollars worth of debt. I think they're sitting somewhere close to $30 trillion worth of debt now. Um, and globally, it's something like $400 trillion worth of government debt. It's it's insane. It's crazy. Not just government debt, just debt in general. Um, and it's, it's because of this constant debasing of currency. So the sixth stage of uh, empires is the rapid expansion of money supply, resulting in a loss of purchasing power through inflation so inflation what we we're talking about before with the example of the rocks on the beach if you have one rock it's obviously worth a lot because you don't want to get rid of it but once there's a million of those rocks the purchasing power or the value of that one rock goes down substantially so as governments print more and more and more currency and they introduce more into the system the value of one becomes little uh, until you get to a point uh, like you see in venezuela for example or like you saw in the weimar republic in just before i think it was in the 1920s uh, where essentially so much of a currency is printed that it becomes worthless and it no longer holds the trust of the public. 
So this is normally what happens in the sixth, sixth stage of empires. Um, and then the seventh stage is, um, oh, sorry, the, the last part of the sixth stage is what this does when the, when the public has less trust in their currency is it reflects in the markets and in revolutions, right? Which is kind of what we're seeing in the States right now with the riots and um, the unrest. And of course, this is these kind of riots and this unrest is is blamed upon other problems. But a lot of these problems are superficial to the, the main problem, which is, you know, once people get to a point where they no longer trust that their government has their best interests at heart and they can no longer afford the basic necessities, they start to realize all these superficial problems that are around them. And that's where they begin to revolt. Um, so often these problems that we see riots and revolution based upon are actually not the root cause of what's really going on. Um, a lot of it is to do with the monetary system and the fact that when people can no longer afford to look after themselves on the most, most basic level, these problems are going to become um, easier and more, um, more likely to be revolted upon. And the seventh stage of empires is a mass transfer from currency to real money occurs as the currency eventually destroys itself requiring a monetary system reset so this is kind of based around grisham's law again right once once a government gets to a point where they've introduced so much of a currency and the value of that currency is just reduced by so much as people turn to sound monies so money that has uh, a fixed supply or a small uh, level of inflation like gold or silver does uh, money that's is essentially a store of value, right? Because when a currency gets so inflated, um, like the situation in Venezuela right now, or a few years ago in Mozambique, where people were literally dumping money into the dumpsters or burning money to stay warm, um, it becomes pointless to hold it. So people will turn to something that is historically or is a hard money, a store of value, something that holds its value over time. And this is where in a new world where we are technology-based, uh, Bitcoin is so incredibly um, revolutionary in terms of its properties as a good money. But just to touch on monetary history quickly, the last 140 years of monetary history, in 1880, Germany was on the gold-backed currency. So what I'm meaning by monetary history is, you know, I said in the seventh stage of empire there, it ends with a great reset, right? It ends with um, countries or states coming together and being like, hey, team, like this is obviously not working. We need to change the monetary system because we've got these revolutions. We've got people who aren't able to feed themselves. We have too much debt. Our currency is worthless. What are we going to do? So this is where countries or states or maybe an empire or a new rising empire might come together and decide upon a new system going forward. And historically, this has resulted in some sort of war preceding this change, but it's not always the case. Um, and I'm not saying that we're going to have to go through a war for this change to happen. My hope is that we've learned enough over the 20th century and the brutality of war and the, the, the disgusting, um, atrocious acts that happened in the 20th century to potentially come to a decision uh, without that needing to happen which it seems like based upon the latest announcements by the IMF and them already talking about this change in system and these systems already starting to change across the world that 
potentially we won't have to go through uh, one of these terrible wars again in order for this great reset to happen. But I guess, see what happens. But anyway, to go through the last 140 years of monetary history, in 1880, Germany was on a gold-backed currency. In 1918, that changed to a gold exchange standard. This was the birth of the Federal Reserve in the US. Uh, in 1944, again, the monetary system changed to a Bretton Woods system. So this uh, was post-World War II, right? Uh, the Bretton Woods system, basically what it did was all currencies or almost all currencies were backed by the US dollar. In turn, the US dollar was backed by gold. So some of you who may be traders or investors might know the Forex, which is the foreign exchange, which basically is an exchange market for currencies. You know, currencies will inflate and deflate against each other over time. Um, and the Forex is a way that you can essentially trade uh, between currencies. And if you are a gambler, then it's a great outlet for you. But uh, there, are, there are some people who trade it based upon mathematics and, and research and actually do really well in the Forex markets. But essentially what the Forex markets are is they're kind of this gigantic, um, I guess, scales that balance um, the, the, the changes in value of currency throughout the world. But the Forex didn't exist at that time because all currencies were backed by the US dollar, right? But because the US dollar's worth was tied to gold, so, you know, $20, um, sorry, $50 in US was backed by, I believe it was $20 worth of gold. Um, so the idea was that there was always gold in the vault that would, um, would be backing this created currency. So there wasn't really a need for a Forex exchange because all currencies were just pegged to the value of the US dollar, which was pegged to gold. So let's say, I had, I don't know, two Australian dollars that would be backed by one US dollar, which would be backed by 0.1 ounce of gold or whatever, whatever the measurement was, right? So there was no need for Forexes because the currencies didn't fluctuate because they were all essentially backed to the US dollar, which was backed to gold. In 1971, this changed again, because what happened between 1944 and 1971 is the US continued to print and basically inflate its currency and debase the worth of the US dollar to fund wars, um, to fund wars and to fund public expenditure. And basically what they were doing was they were shipping their debt out to other countries because they were continuous, continuing to print, but it got to the point where other countries were like, well, hold on. If, you know, 50 US dollars is backed by $20 worth of gold and you've just printed, you know, millions of dollars, uh, how can we trust that, the amount of US dollars that you have in circulation is equivalent to the ratio of gold that you said it would be backed by. So what these countries started doing is they started drawing their gold out of the states. So they started pulling the gold out of the states. Now, at this time, the US had about two thirds of the world's gold supply and they lost 50% of it between 1944 and 1971 uh, because over time, countries realized that, all right, the, U the US was basically using this to its advantage, continuing to print and debase its own currency um, while the world was kind of naive to this whole situation. So in 1971, and this is one of the biggest things that happened in the world, but is kind of not really known about is Nixon went, all right, well, we're going to have to go off the gold standard. Um, and have for the first time in it, in history free floating fiat currencies because he knew that if he didn't do that um countries would continue to pull 
their gold from the states and they would basically end up with no gold and the monetary system would completely collapse um it's crazy that the world kind of let this happen but it, it did right so in 1971 and the monetary system changed again and the that's essentially when the forex markets were born because now most countries were still backed by the us dollar um but that us dollar was now a free floating currency which meant that depending on how much countries printed or um whether they removed some of their currency supplier this would change the value of their um their currency so you would need to balance this out on some sort of market system which is how the forex came to be is as a system of um i guess identifying uh, how much each currency is worth against each other and how much all of those currencies are worth basically against the us dollar which became the reserve currency for the first time in history a fiat currency was the reserve um, so we've kind of been playing this experiment for 50 years now and it's got to a point where we've realized that it simply doesn't work um, having a um, reserve currency as, a per, as opposed to a reserve money means that countries are able to pretty much print into infinity and debase the currencies to a point where they become so worthless and that debt becomes so large that it's no longer sustainable um so we're now in the at the point now in 2020 where the imf has finally come out so imf being the international money fund monetary fund has come out and said it's time for a new Bretton woods agreement and that in itself is huge because what that means is basically now this idea of a great reset is in the motion of occurring and this is why i'm pretty optimistic that we potentially won't have to go through any sort of war or conflict in order for this reset to happen because it's already been talked about now and the crazy thing is and this is why now that we've gone on this roundabout kind of thought and this is why i call this thoughts on because it's basically me, me spewing out the things that are in my brain is what we're experiencing right now is a confluence of multiple cycles including a new industrial revolution fueled by the internet and technology the world is moving into the third industrial revolution and regardless of how you view it this change is inevitable and is already in motion that's crazy because this industrial revolution is now happening in conjunction with a huge monetary reset and it's also happening in conjunction with a huge ending of a debt bubble cycle so we have all of these cycles converging in one uh at a point in history which is so profoundly important it's crazy it's crazy it's mind-blowing to be in this point of time right now because i think we're going to look back at the experiment we had between 1971 and today and realize wow how did we end up in that situation where we became so such a consumerist materialistic society focused on debt rather than actually debt and capital rather than actually creating things and innovating with things um, that are important and will benefit the lives of people and the planet and so anyway this that's kind of off topic but to get back to this confluence that we're experiencing this revolution ties in with our need to rapidly eliminate our need for fossil fuels so along with all of these cycles converging we also have climate change becoming a serious problem that we have to face in the 21st century so we have this need to eliminate fossil fuels which you might know as the green deal and regardless of how you view the green deal whether you might be sitting there going oh aoc blah 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 
it's not actually that basically the green new deal is essentially what the world has already started moving it towards regardless of what you think of the terminology green new deal it is essentially the third revolution that we're moving into but it is so much more than a fix for climate change it is a fix for an uncontrollable debt bubble a fix for the failure of our monetary system and a transition into the internet of all things yes the internet will eat everything so let's get into these cycles of i guess industrial revolutions so to give a little bit of history the first industrial revolution was in the 19th century and that's where steam power printing telegraph and coal came into existence the second industrial revolution was in the 20th century and this is where electricity telephone and oil came into existence and revolutionized the way we live that peaked in 2008 incidentally just after this peak or uh, in january of 2009 is where bitcoin made its debut so the reason that i guess after this peak in 2008 which you might remember was when we had the great financial crisis um the reason we've kind of been able to sustain this current monetary system we were in which is crazy and completely focused on debt and stay stuck in this kind of second industrial revolution infrastructure that we are rapidly realizing no longer um i guess fits the needs of a population which is completely controlled by the internet or focused on the internet of all things and has been consumed by technology we've been able to stay afloat because of what is called quantitative easing which is essentially money printing so governments have been debasing debasing and debasing their currencies to the point where you know currencies are becoming more and more worthless and it's getting to the point where people are starting to revolt because they're realizing that their their currency cannot afford them um, the basic necessities in life so that's basically kept us afloat but monetary policy and our current infrastructure they simply don't work. Um, we cannot build um, the internet of all things and the technology that is so rapidly advancing on second industrial revolution or 20th century ideas. So that moves us into the third industrial revolution, which is now. And it's been happening basically since the early 2000s, which is the internet of all things. And when you look at revolutions over time, there's kind of three things that really happen. There's a complete revolution in communication, a complete revolution in energy. So the internet of all things, we're moving into renewable energy um, because we've realized that our experiment with fossil fuels is absolutely ridiculous. And we're, and it also includes transportation. So basically the internet of all things is this internet that connects and controls all of these. So think about it, communication has already happened. How do you communicate nowadays? Do you send letters? No, I doubt it. Do you send emails, send texts, send messages, voice messages, Zoom, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so that's the revolution in communication. That's kind of led, led the charge. The next one is renewable energy. So we see in Europe and China, this huge move towards uh, pushing out of fossil fuels and pushing into renewable energy. Granted, there's still a need for fossil fuels in the next 10 to 20 years, but the need for those fossil fuels is to fuel this new renewable energy industry. And lastly, is this internet controlled uh, transportation. So you see this with companies like Tesla and Elon Musk and this idea that in the next 10 to 20 years, we're going to have self-driving cars. So 
basically this huge industrial revolution is happening in conjunction with the change in uh, monetary system. And the reason this change in monetary system is happening, and this is where Bitcoin becomes so important, because in a world of Internet of all things, in a world where our lives are basically based on technology and Internet and Internet infrastructure, we need a monetary system that is Internet based. Right. We need a great financial reset that is based upon this Internet of all things that we're moving into. Now, you may th may think this sounds crazy and you may say, well, what's wrong with gold? And gold has been a store of value for 5000 years and it can continue to do so. And to some extent, I agree that gold will have a, a part to play. But in a world where everything is Internet based, all of our interactions are done through some form of internet all of our transportation all of our energy needs all of our communication needs do you really think that gold will be the main monetary system or the main base hard money a store of value that all other currency systems are built upon i don't and this is why bitcoin fascinates me and this is why it's so much more than just a speculation because bitcoin is essentially the internet's version of gold it's even better because it has a fixed supply of only 21 million. It has a fixed schedule in a def deflationary system. So over time, there's less and less Bitcoin introduced into the system until it reaches its fixed supply of 21 million, making it a more sound version, harder, better version of money than gold. So in a world that is the Internet of all things, in a world that is currently converging upon many super cycles coming to an end, currently converging on the midst of a third revolution, moving towards renewable energy, internet-based connection uh, and communication, internet-controlled transportation. Do you really believe that our monetary system will be based on, you know, cash, gold, silver, hard things, real things? No, it's all going to be based on the internet. It already is, in a way. When was the last time you used cash? Ask yourself that. Were you just using your phone to tap and go? Or if you're in China, you probably don't even use that. You use WePay or, or Alipay. And if you look at what's happening in, with the IMF right now, and you look at what's happening in Europe, and you bother to do a little bit of research, you'll see that uh, central bank digital currencies are already in the process of happening. So what does that mean? It means that all of our currency systems will be built upon the internet. So think about that for a second. If you're someone who understands that currencies over time are debased and the value of them is reduced by countries for deficit spending to fund public works, and you have your currency on an internet-based system, where is the version of gold that you can put that currency? It's Bitcoin. Simple as that. So anyway, I hope you stuck with me on that thoughts on these podcasts are going to be more of kind of evolving conversation. And I hope over time I get better at clarifying my points and my ideas. Uh, but let me know your thoughts. Give me some feedback. Um, let me know if there's certain ways you think I could structure this better for you to understand. Or alternatively, let me know if this interested you and sent you down your own kind of rabbit hole to understand Bitcoin and uh, industrial revolutions and maybe these great resets or this idea that history repeats itself with these super cycles coming to fruition. Um, but anyway, next week, I'm going to go over recency bias. And the reason I'm doing recency bias next week is I think that 
the reason a lot of people don't understand this and the reason why we get so caught up in this pain and suffering of the moment is because we have this tendency to focus on what's happened recently. And once we are able to get past recency bias, we're able to understand the history of things like I'm doing right now in this podcast, we're kind of able to have a bit of context about what's happening and allow ourselves to be less in a state of suffering and worry and more in a state of proactive solution focused action and thinking. So next week will be recency bias and the following week I'm going to go more into the third revolution. So thanks for listening in guys. Let me know what you think of this style of podcast. Uh, I look forward to coming to you next Friday with thoughts on recency bias. Hello again, friend. Thanks for listening to the entirety of that episode. I truly appreciate you tuning in. Uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe on whatever platform you're using. And if you're using Apple Podcasts, huge favor to ask you. Can you please leave a five-star rating, leave a comment, leave a review, and be sure to share this with anyone in your life that you think it'll impact positively. Uh, each and every rating and, the, and review that we get on Apple Podcasts helps beat the algorithm and get the podcast out to more people. And I think these conversations are worth sharing. So thanks once again, and we'll see you in the next episode of Couple of Lattes. <laughs>